0: 24 Get a Fasty of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices names and faces to interesting people making the ohio hockey community better this episode of the ohio hockey digest on air podcast is brought to you by numa numa makes a line of organic sports drinks designed to help athletes feel their absolute best before during and after workouts or competition use code hockey 25 for 25 percent off your first purchase on drinknuma.com. that is drink N-O-O-M-A dot com. Well, Jay, last week we had the privilege of sitting down with the head of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club and the finalist for the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, Mr. John Hafferman. John talked to us about how his club came to be and how his reach into the community is giving kids chances that they may not have had before. Talking with John, as we talked about last week at the end of the show, talking with a guy who is so inspirational and passionate about what he does uh, not only for the game of hockey, but for the youth, it could be, listen, I I firmly believe his passion could have been basketball, uh, anything else, just giving to the youth and having the youth have an opportunity to do something that they may not have the opportunity to do was very, very fascinating and very inspiring uh, to listen.
1: Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with the inspiration. Um, You know, in, in listening to John last week and, you know, there, there were so many things. I keep. I listened to the interview uh, again this week, and, and I keep going back to how he goes into the community, how the community centers go into the community and bring the kids to the ice rink, to the, the sporting events, giving them that opportunity by bringing them to it and, and showing them that they care and that, that each kid is wanted there. It's just – it's an amazing program that he has – that he's had for the better part of 30 years, and that we know through conversation with John that they are in plans to keep it going long after he decides that he has to walk off into the sunset. It was just an inspirational conversation. That's the only other way I can put it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And, and to the, the think when he spoke about, when we asked him what's next for John Hafferman, he's like, well, myself and the other directors are trying to figure out how to keep this going. You know, he didn't bring it back to himself and say, well, this is what I'm going to do now that I've done this or I've done that. You want to talk about a guy who is, uh, I mean, the term selflessness. I mean, that just is a definition of John Hafferman.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I was listening to a a conversation on another uh, interview uh, format a couple days ago, and it was with Ryan Reeves of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. They had asked Ryan Reeves about um, what needs to happen. And Ryan Reeves flat said the same thing John Hafferman said. You have to go out into the communities and bring the sport of hockey, or you need to bring this message to people that aren't going to come, be able to come to you. Right. And he talked about how expensive hockey is and how you can try to circumvent that. And you know what, and not one point, even when we asked him a question, what is next for John Hafferman? He, he put it out like it wasn't about him and he's so humble and the humility level is fantastic. And he's just a good person.
0: You know, I think that was a conversation that I believe we had with coach Belsma when we talked about getting, you know, what do we need to do to, to grow the game? And he did mention the cost of the game. So, you know, it was, it, it seems to be the, the uh, common denominator uh, in a lot of this, uh, when getting uh, everybody Exposed to the game of hockey. Yes. You know, well, then we had a chance to sit down with the brothers Gerard. Uh, Freddie and Charlie Gerard joined us to talk about their paths to pro hockey and the lessons they learned along the way. Uh, they also talked to us about the Boom Boom Tuck clothing line that they started as a continuation of their brotherly journey through hockey and life. What an unbelievable conversation and fun conversation with the Gerard brothers. Um, it all started off with big brother having to help little brother even get hooked up to the zoom call. So I knew right there, Jay, I knew we were in for it. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> then they're, they're different paths, you know, and and I hope that with people really listen to that and maybe not that, you know, the first initial listen, because after we talked to the brothers and then I had an opportunity to really listen to the uh, podcast, it was interesting to me to see how close knit those two are and how you know you want to talk about big brother looking out for little brother or little brother looking out for big brother? Whatever, that's the case, right? I ran into the brothers at at uh, the rink, uh, a couple days or like a day and a half ago, and um, I said, "Hey, where's my swag?" Actually, I didn't even get it out of my mouth, and they both were like, "Oh my gosh, we didn't know you were coming to the rink. We'll get that for you." They're such a proud, they're proud people, uh, and they're fun, really fun to talk to.
1: Yeah, man. I mean. It, it, it's it's one thing to go through life it's another thing to go through hockey life with someone and you know you you hear people when they they reach milestones and do different things and they always thank those that help them get there those two are walking damn near hand in hand together through this journey that's hockey and oh by the way they're having a blast they're playing at high levels obviously now they're both playing in, in a pro hockey and then they just had some time on their hands and said, "Let's start a clothing line." I mean, they're just having a blast, and that that was probably one of the most fun conversations we've had. Um, it was it was informative. You know, we learned about uh, Freddie being the dad and Charlie never having a wallet, which was absolutely <laughs> hysterical. Um, like you said, the, the beginning of it when when Freddie got on and he's like, "All right, hold on, I got to go cook him up and get him on this thing. He doesn't know what he's doing." and and we shared laughs with them. Uh, they shared some great, funny stories, um, even as far as uh, a, uh, one of their, their, their teammates in juniors coming from the Ukraine and the brothers having to help him with English in school. We got flying papers. Holy. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was a mess right there. That was Sorry.
1: fun. To look at. Sorry, I wish we could have got a, a photo with a look on your face when that paper went flying through. It was like a pterodactyl.
0: Sorry, boys. <clears throat> Sorry, boys. All right, continue now. No,
1: but the, the Gerard's are, are. You may want to
0: leave that in. That would be fun. I'm
1: going to. They're, the yeah. Gerard's are good guys. Uh, they're fun. They're they're damn good at hockey, and they work extremely hard at it. And it's great that they get to do this together.
0: Yeah, you know, and, I, and, and humble as well uh, yeah. and, and honest. You know, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, I don't mean—I don't mean to use the word funny. It was, it was when Freddie was telling us about his uh, five-team stint in the East Coast League last year, and he mentioned—and I forgive me, Freddie—I do apologize. What team it was, but you were like, you know what? They had their ten forwards, no room for Freddie. You yeah. know, and and the 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 him to, to li- you know, look at it that way and say, I'll just move on to the next. I'm sure it was humbling for him, but to move on to the next team, uh, I had a conversation today with one of his former coaches uh in the east coast hockey league and that coach had nothing but unbelievable positive things to say about about freddie and and uh, his experience coaching him for just a few games so
1: the uh, fact fact that he could take the business side of it and i'll say laugh about it i mean you, you can't if you take everything so seriously it could mentally ruin you and and freddie has such a good demeanor Having gone through four or five different teams in his first season in pro, that's gotta be mind numbingly hard. Yeah. And and he looks at it in, in good light, as best light as he can, I'll say. Right. So that was pretty cool. This okay. week, we
0: stay in the brotherly theme. We sit down with Jarrett and Brandon Smith, the inventors of the NUMA sports drink. We get to learn about their journey in hockey from Gilmore Academy to Brown University for Jared and Miami University for Brandon to developing the NUMA brand into the empire it has become. Then we travel south to Oxford, Ohio. I'm excited for this one, Jay. We get to sit down with the former coach of the Red Hawks, Enrico Blase. We will talk with Coach Blase about the ups and downs of his 20-year tenure with the Red Hawks and how he built a program and culture that made Miami University one of the top programs in all of college hockey. Jay, I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to sit down and talk to Coach. I'm Thankful that he gave us the opportunity to sit down with him for a half hour, 45 minutes. But to talk to an individual who single-handedly built a culture that changed NCAA college hockey, man, people in this sport or any sports or any business ought to take a listen to this because I'm telling you, this guy is, is pretty impressive.
1: You know, we, we've had the chance to, I, to say admire from afar is 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 probably an understatement it's probably the wrong words but when when you're always watching those around you we've had the opportunity to watch Dan Balsma. we've had the opportunity to watch Jeff Blaschel we've had the opportunity to watch others that are in pro ranks Dan Watson and and guys in college that you know you follow because you 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 every message they give is very similar to what we give at our level and you just like to learn, and you like to see how they go about doing things. We've had the chance to research Coach Blasey and and follow along his journey of the last 20 years at, at Miami, and it also helped that you know we knew some players that have played for him, and, and you get to follow along that way. The fact that we get to sit and pick his brain and, and listen to him today is just, I mean, this is amazing. Yes, I've been looking forward to Hopefully, having Coach Blasi on as a guest on our podcast, and we're very fortunate that he has the time to sit with us and talk today. It's going to be awesome.
0: Another blessed day to talk with people, making hockey and life better. But before we get to the interviews, let's check in as we always do with the boys. Danny, how are you, buddy? Um, my internet's working today, so yeah. <laughs> so we're good. How does a, how does a guy who who makes his living working IT not have internet? I I don't know. Um, do you hear him today? He's like, "Uh, uh." uh
1: I didn't. I didn't it, know if it was pausing. I didn't know if it was stalling out on him or pausing <laughs> out on him. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> they just when they came to update everything, they didn't flip
0: all this, the right switches. On the guy said so. Last week when we were doing our interviews, it didn't have enough uh, signal strength coming in on my end. So I would hear you guys talk fine, pause for five seconds, and then uh. It would speed up and catch back up. So, any technical difficulties, I apologize for them last week, but this week should be a lot better. Oh, Jay, what's going nice. on with you, buddy? Anything oh. new? Anything new, Jay?
1: <clears throat> oh, let's see. I don't have a whole lot new. Uh, I'm on the unable to perform list, uh, I'm on the 11 more day IR with the COVID. I contracted the virus. Uh, I don't know how. I did speak with the uh, Department of Health in the county I live in uh, this morning. Uh, we went through all of my uh,
0: Danny's, uh put his mas- Danny's put his mask on right now, even though this is through <laughs> Zoom.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting. Um, I don't really have – I have a symptom. I don't have the whole list of them. Um, I'm quarantined in my basement. As you can see, the door is open, so it's nice out back. So it's it's a nice day, but it's just been weird, man, with my family uh, upstairs and having almost no contact with them. It's uh it's not a lot of fun, especially when I hear them running around and laughing. And but uh hey, I got to do what I got to do for the next. You know, I think I have 11 days left, and uh, try not to go bored silly.
0: Well, as you know, and, and as I spoke last week pretty candidly, I was on the 14-day IR for for there. I'm now off the uh, the list, uh, back to normal life, and uh, my entire family got through it uh safely, soundly. Um but Jay, question for you. Do you get the, the meals like served to you on a tray like uh like you were in the uh, holding clink, cell?
1: Yeah. I was in a clink? Like just Three bologna, sa- bologna no, no, sandwiches? Bologna no, no. sandwiches. Actually the first thing the first thing I did, first thing I did when my test came back positive was uh I got an air mattress. Um I had it delivered to the house and so I, I sleep on an air a queen size air mattress in front of a 65 inch TV. So it's been okay. It's not the three hots in a cot. Uh, My food has been delivered to the back door numerous times. Yes. Uh, It's been on a tray. I just take it and I eat it. And sometimes I sit out back and eat it, whatever. Um, I have my mask on around my kids all the time to keep them safe. And my wife as well. And uh, no, man, it, it just, it stinks. It's not fun. Not knowing where I got it from and, everything like that. But Hey, uh, other people have it worse. I am very fortunate in that I'm healthy. I have a cough and that's it. I have some meds for my cough, which it is getting better. So that's good. Um, that's it, man. That's I got, I'm not going to have anything else next week either. Guess what? All right, I'm going to be so,
0: bored. <laughs> Danny. Remember next week, we just skipped the, Hey, what's new love. We just skip over him.
1: Love anything new. Yeah. I'm down to, uh, four days left. Yeah, however many days I'll have left next week, right? Well,
0: at least well, Jay, we're glad you are feeling okay in the midst of the uh, uh, of the virus. And again, it is nothing to joke about. But um, so well, and like I told you guys, I'm uh, now on the back end of it. Uh, Everyone in the family has uh, been safe. Everyone's healthy. So uh, I actually I don't think I've ever said this in my life. I look forward to going back to work. Look forward to getting to see the kids. We are here in the state of Ohio. We're less than a month away from high school hockey. And that's huge for all of us on this Zoom call uh, or on this podcast. So um, we look forward to that. And uh, other than that, we're enjoying the last of the warm days before the weather takes hold. Uh, 80 degrees today in Northeast Ohio, and it's supposed to dip down to the 50s and 40s by the end of the week. So uh, hopefully you guys got to enjoy the nice weather outside, do something fun. But in the midst of that, let's dive in to the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey today. There is no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air podcast. You can connect your company or product with customers and support hockey in Ohio at the same time. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com. Kent State University announced on Friday that the KSU Ice Arena will be closed until further notice to all users, both within the university and general public. Kimberly Ruffra, Associate Dean of Students, Recreation and Wellness Services, issued a statement saying the closure is part of the university's strategy to stem the spread of COVID-19 on campus throughout the larger Portage County community and in the Northeast Ohio region. In addition to Kent State's two ACHA teams, seven area high school hockey teams, and 11 youth hockey organizations call the arena home. The Kent Cyclones have had their teams from high school all the way down to Mites on the ice for a month and had their first game scheduled for Saturday. Rob Durbin is the vice president of the Cyclones organization, as well as the head coach of the high school team in the North Coast High School Hockey League. So, unfortunately, we found out at the same time everyone else did. It was uh, just as big of a surprise to us as an organization as it was to uh, the Kent State Arena staff. Um, this came from, apparently, from the president of the university, and it was on the eve, of course, of phase two starting, which meant games and teams visiting the arena. Yeah. Um, so, we we've been partners with... Kent State Ice Arena since 1971, when my dad started this organization with three other gentlemen, and we we are definitely committed to staying partners with Kent State. Um, we just at this point don't know what the future looks like. Uh, we're going to remain positive. We're going to keep our organization strong, and when we can get back to the Kent State Arena, we're going to uh, jump right back in and uh, not miss not miss a beat. Durbin said the pond, Auburn Township, Thornton Park, Shaker Heights. Center Ice Sports Complex in North Canton, OBM Arena in Strongsville, and Deep Freeze Ice Arena in Youngstown have come through with ice slots on short notice. The Ohio High School Athletic Association said last week that hockey would be allowed to start on time, which means the week of Thanksgiving. But KSU announcement could impact the schedule for several Ohio High School Athletic Association programs, including Walsh Jesuit, Hudson, Kent Roosevelt, Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy, and Western Reserve Academy as well as Stowe. The NCHSHL League schedules runs from October 23rd to February 7th. Kent State's two ACHA club teams were already shut down until second semester, so it remains to to be seen how this will impact their season.
1: The Youngstown Phantoms selected four players in the USHL's dispersal draft last week. The Cedar Rapids Rough Riders and Madison Capitals decided to sit out the 2020-2021 season with the intention of returning in 2021-2022, but the remaining 13 teams were able to pick up their players for the upcoming USHL USHL season slated to start November 6th. Youngstown claimed four players, all 18-year-olds, that belong to Cedar Rapids and have NCAA Division I scholarships in their back pocket. Defenseman Grant Hindman is a product of the Little Caesars AAA program that played in the Tier 2 North American Hockey League last season. He has committed to Lake Superior State for 2021-2022. Center Nate Hanley is already a two-year veteran of the USHL, having played 73 games for the Rough Riders over the last two seasons and producing 12 goals and 30 points. He is scheduled to play one season for the Phantoms before heading to the University of Connecticut. Bennett Zmolik is a 6'2", 185 pound blue liner that already has 56 games of ushl experience a second round ushl pick in 2018 he could play two seasons in youngstown before moving on to minnesota state for the 2022-2023 season and goaltender andrew Picora is from bethel park pa and played AAA for the pittsburgh pens elite He got into six USHL games with Cedar Rapids last year and is committed to the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers for 2022-2023. Four more reasons to get over to Youngstown this season to see some USHL action. Lots of high-end prospects will be suiting up for the Phantoms, including Shaker Heights own Colin Purcell, UMass, and Miami native Ben Stone, Penn State.
0: The Toledo Cherokee and Columbus Mavericks opened up the 2020-2021 United States Premier Hockey League season with a home-and-home series last weekend. In a wild finish at Ohio Health Chiller North Friday night, the Mavericks scored twice in the final 1 minute and 26 seconds of regulation to get within a goal, but each time the Cherokee responded to secure a 6-4 win. Andre Dupaul's second goal of the game helped up as the game winner and Mason Snyder made 31 saves. DuPaul had a hat trick as the Cherokees posted an H2 win in the rematch Saturday at the Toledo Ice House. And then on Sunday, the Wooster Oilers and the Lake Erie Bighorns played their season opener at Wooster Alice Noble Arena as the Oilers returned to the ice after suspending operation for a year. Oilers co-owner Marty Kerr was excited to finally see some hockey after all of the work getting the team back in operation. We
2: are... Super excited! We couldn't be more excited, more pumped to actually get
0: more, more Ohio hockey um, out there and, and playing. Um, you know, we we realize that this is a comeback year for us; that uh, um,
1: you know we're a comeback team. But you know, we've got a lot to prove. We've got a chip on our shoulder, and, and we've got a lot of rookies. So um, we'll see where it goes. The closest Tier Two junior team to the state of Ohio, the Jamestown Rebels in Jamestown, New York of the North American Hockey League has elected to shut down for the 2020-2021 season. The North American Hockey League already ran a dispersal draft for two other franchises that opted out of the season, so this was an 11th-hour decision. It remains to be seen if the players on the Jamestown roster will become free agents or if there will be another dispersal draft. The Johnstown Tomahawks, which had five Ohioans play for them last season, are still up and running. Johnstown is the next closest North American league franchise to the Ohio border.
0: And finally, congratulations to Cleveland Barons, 2008 elite captain, Brandon Lachance, a seventh grader at North Canton middle school who was nominated for the United way of greater Stark County kids of character program. Braden's teachers say that among other things, he always has a positive attitude is a willing participant in class and makes an effort to help others feel included. Keep up the good work, Brendan. Congratulations. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on Air Podcast is brought to you by Numa. Numa makes a line of organic sports drinks designed to help athletes feel their absolute best before, during, and after workouts or competition. Use code Hockey25 for 25% off your first purchase on drinknuma.com. The bus is gassed up and ready to go, Lev. We need a thirst quencher for this journey. So let's head over to the east side and sit down with the NUMA brothers, Jared and Brandon Smith. Our first guest began playing hockey at a young age. Together, they spent time with the Gilmore prep team before heading off to juniors in college. Jared spent time with the Bridgewater Bandits of the Eastern Junior Hockey League before spending four years playing and attending Brown University. Brother Brandon left Gilmore Academy and went to Oxford to play and attend Miami University. They both enjoy professional playing careers before selling in what in with what would be proved to be something to help others. Along with their co-founder, they developed a sports drink that is all natural, giving the public an organic, real option for their thirst. And NUMA was born. Please welcome on air, the NUMA brothers, Jared and Brandon Smith. Welcome, guys. Happy to be here. How's it going, Tim? Good. Good. Well, I'm going to, I guess... I'll let you guys figure out who's going to answer this first, the older or the younger brother. So tell us how you both grew up in the game of hockey and how you got your start.
2: I can, I can do that one. Um, So we're from Cleveland and we are not the typical hockey family. We uh, the story goes and we're, we're too young to even to remember it. So it's just the story that was told to us. I, uh, we were, went to a, after a church social went over to Cleveland Heights uh, at the old, uh, st- still the pavilion, but the, the pavilion there and there were all the hockey guys out there. And, and Jared and I just loved the gear. Um, you know, I had never, had never been around the sport, but the guys were coming off and they were just wearing all the pads and stuff and thought it just looked cool and convinced my mom that like, Hey, we need, we need to do this. And, you know, wanted to be on the ice, like being at the rink. Um, and my, my dad was from Jackson, Mississippi, so knew nothing about hockey um you know grew, grew up in the 50s and 60s in the south so there's there was nothing going on there my mom had no background either so I know they like they bought us some some hand-me-down figure skates for 10 bucks and put us out there uh and we ended up going to shakers where we started doing uh doing mighty mites with coach Bartley at shaker and put us out there and Uh, I just know my dad was saying, like, get the kids some hockey skates because I'm out there in our our Mickey Mouse sweaters and and figure (laughs) skates. That was the start. So, yeah.
1: So, from there, you guys, how did you end up at Gilmore?
3: Jared? So, we, uh, as Brandon mentioned, we both played uh, Shaker Youth, then played Barons, Uh, and then as we started getting older, I did a couple years, it was now gone the Panthers, but – we were looking for um, kind of that option as we got into high school. And I know Brand. I mean, as the younger brother with hockey and, and kind of everything growing up, I was just following what he was doing. So, uh, you know, we, uh, Brandon had developed a good relationship with uh, Seth Greenberg and John Malloy and kind of just led us into Gilmore. And obviously having a rink on campus was pretty attractive for a couple uh rink rats as ourselves and so um and then for us too, just really having the prep team as the option as kind of that goal to be able to uh you know continue our skill development at a great school but also you know being able to play for the school at a level um that we thought was really going to help us get to the next level and get to kind of where our goals as hockey players where we wanted to be
2: and i would just for uh for for us and our, our hockey story Jared mentioned them, but uh, John John Malloy was a huge, huge influence and and help in where we wanted to get to. And as we were coming in, he, he told us, and I I didn't didn't know if he uh, totally understood to the extent we were going to take advantage of it, but he said, you know, if you want to skate every day, if you want to be able to get out there and get better, you should come to Gilmore because you're going to get that chance. And, we squeezed every last drop out of that for, you know, while we were in high school and then juniors, college, pro, we were, you know, we were always looking at the schedule and talking to the rink guys and asking our mom, can we, can you get those guys a case of beer to get them out there or whatever? we were just, (laughs) whenever we could to just, you know, a hole in the schedule to to get out there and skate. And we took advantage of it and it was probably to a fault. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we were, and and you know as we got a little older when we were you know in, in college and working camps at Gilmore we would get we would skate before camp work out get back on the ice shoot a zillion pucks and, and like it was it was a place that really allowed us um like I said they, they they told
3: us you can be on the ice all you want and we took advantage of it so, <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: yeah
3: who what is- was it well, Christmas one year Christmas day <laughs> Everything's wrapped up, and we headed up to the rink at like 5 p.m. Clearly, it's closed, and it's a Catholic, so of course, it's closed. Right. <laughs> You're thinking we could hop on, and it wasn't cleared out and we got stuck in the parking lot for like an hour and a half <laughs> on christmas day and we had to use our sticks as shovels i remember to yeah. get us out of there because we were trying to get, trying to get a skate in on christmas uh you know evening so that that that's what gilmore was for, awesome for well sure. some people yeah. do the turkey bowl on uh, thanksgiving i didn't see nothing yeah going in on <laughs> right. and, john, used,
2: john used to open the rink up on thanksgiving in the evening um yeah and people come in so he was all about it. Like people who wanted to be rink rats. And I think yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's coming through loud and clear. Like if you wanted to do it, like he was cool with it. So
1: yeah. That's awesome.
0: Well, I just want to, I want to jump in on that. You know, we've had the opportunity to talk to John and uh, Lev and I, we've known John since we were, and we're quite a few years older than you guys, but we've known John since we were uh, youth and high school age kids as well. And uh, I don't think anyone would disagree with the statement you guys made about the profound, uh, influence that John Malloy has had on many, many uh, hockey players in this city. So, I uh, I want to double back on what you said there.
3: Absolutely.
1: Who, sure. who was your coach with the prep team when you guys were there?
2: So, I, I had John for three years, and then he my, – my senior year was the year that he stepped down, and I had Mike McNeil for one year. So, yep. kind of okay.
3: those years. And I was McNeil for all the time I was on the prep team. So. Nice.
1: Very nice. And, and
2: actually kind of crazy arc. The prep team that we had my senior year, do you know the number, Jared? How many guys played D? It's it was absurd. There were I think like we had 91
3: players and three D three players. Kind of like wow, for a
2: for a high school team, like it's absurd. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah they just yeah. said that there was it was a you know a, a perfect time where we had some some guys coming in from out of town. You know, us two one of Jared's really good buddies. I actually saw him today. Kyle Maggard was on the team. Just a a lot of just like good local guys. um, That was just, yeah, like you're probably not going to see that again. Like a a Cleveland high school team with like 91 guys on it. That Um, that
1: was going to be my question was how many of the guys were from Cleveland?
3: There
2: was.
1: Or or let alone Ohio. Yeah. How many Um, of those guys were Ohio guys?
3: That team was a little lighter on the Ohio and Cleveland. You know, I think we had though, there's probably six or seven that were on the team, three of us that played, and then one like, and then there's another three that played d three from Cleveland. All, you yeah. also had
2: some younger guys that weren't quite on the team yet, but that were at the school at the time, like Vince Mahalik ended up going to cornell
0: yeah uh,
2: mark Mark Naska played at Colgate but wasn't wasn't playing on the prep team but had been in the program, yeah. so there was just there was a really good stretch there kind of between call it O. Oh, 04 through maybe 10 or 12 at, at Gilmore, there was a lot of guys that were um, moving on to that level. So. And
1: yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so Brandon, you, you jumped from the prep team to NCAA division one is a huge, that's a huge jump. Where did you play the year between?
2: So I, I actually played Bridgewater same as Jared. So I did a year out there and um, I guess no longer, no longer the EJ and, and, my, my buddy Russ Sinkowicz always is trying to keep me in a loop on, on what what the leagues are all called now, but I don't even know. Um, yeah. But so we we were in that league and, um, you know, same, same same deal. That league uh, at that time was really, you know, the USHL was still the king, but it was really competitive to in, in terms of the number of guys who were moving on compared to the NA at that time. So, uh, you know, we, we were both kind of thinking we were going to, end up out east I, I didn't Jared did but um you know it was it, it was it was had a really good situation for us and I we kind of talk about it internally but for for guys who aren't gonna go and you know play in the USHL I really believe like being on I was second leading scorer in my team first line center first power play like was was a guy right away and I really believe that you know, getting that chance to, to be someone who was featured on your junior team versus, oh, I'm going to go try to get in a better league, try to get somewhere else and just get buried on the second or third or no, second line, buried on third line, fourth line, maybe not in the lineup every night. Being in a being in that kind of age junior level where you were going to be counted on was just really important developmentally to just, you know, get out there and get an opportunity right
3: away. So,
1: so Jared, you played three full seasons of junior in the East Coast.
3: Uh, I actually um, played two. Oh, you played I two. I know elite elite prospects or a DB or whatever has me as three. I was only two. So
1: okay. Well, regardless, you, you were so damn good that they put him in for a third one, bro. Yeah. They
0: were hoping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were hoping. Did you think that? Did you think you were more prepared for college, having gone the the extra year of junior, and and did playing in the Eastern Junior League did that push you toward East Coast and Brown? or were you already thinking Ivy league and, and staying in the East coast?
3: Uh, I kind of, yes to all of it. Honestly, you know, like Brandon mentioned, we didn't come from a hockey family. And so uh, as we were graduating high school and had spent all the money playing travel hockey and then private school for high school and everything it's just like, wait, so you're not going to go to college and you have, you know, we had academic offers and scholarships and stuff like that. And, there's no guarantee. And that it's the whole concept really was foreign to our family, but you know, for us, like we understood what it was. And, you know, as we look back at it now, and even my mom says it all the time, it's was just like, it was incredible, the transformation just as a boy to a man that it really had on both of us. And probably even me in particular, having always like, a, like I followed Brandon out to Bridgewater, but I never played with him there. That is just like me figuring out who I was and having to solve problems, living with the Billet family. Um, know developmentally for sure as a hockey player like yeah like that's the whole point i'm out there to play hockey but i think it really did have um as much or even a bigger impact um for me and my maturation of just like how i'm gonna handle life and being a student athlete and at a challenging school and being able to to bring that all together um, I think that was just as important as Brandon mentioned of just like, you know, being the guy and, you know, being in the situations and like kind of getting those types of reps. And so, um, you know, heading out there, uh, I did, you know, the personal goal, I, I, I did want to go to an Ivy League school. I didn't, wasn't really help on one or another. It was, I don't even know if it was the right goal, but I had it in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and so like Brandon mentioned that uh, it made a lot of sense for us to be playing out there um, in front of, in front of those schools. So it was, uh, it, it worked out nicely. I was obviously looking back on it, really fortunate and happy to end up at Brown. So.
1: Were there any other options besides Brown?
3: Uh, it came down to Brown and union for me. Um, those were the, the at the end of the day of where I was deciding between. So um, there's, yeah, there, there was, there were some others there um, and some offers, but the ones that um, I was really serious about were those two um, kind of when it came down to it. So,
1: Brandon, how about you? I know you, yeah. you ended up at Miami. Were there any other options besides yeah, so,
3: Miami? You know, uh, a lot of the
2: ones, and uh, I know Brown was actually one of them, and just being in that league, it, was, it actually was a decent amount of those Ivy League schools. Um, Princeton was in the mix, and a, a lot of them uh, wanted me to go and, and, and play another year. And, I, I guess probably in in hindsight, you know, one more year at that stage of your life is it's, just, it's what it doesn't matter at all. But I, I just really wanted to, um, I, I knew I wanted to to play that next year. And I, I didn't even, I didn't even mention this earlier. You know, it was, it was really John Malloy who, you know, he, he's actually a, a, a former Miami hockey player as well, who really pushed on the Miami staff to give me a shot there. So I, you know, I, I I had an op, I had an opportunity there. It wasn't, wasn't guaranteed a thing, but was just, you know, if, if if you want to be part of the squad, you could do it. And they were, you know, I, I had felt that the program was, you could tell, like it was really growing it was going the right direction and I wanted to be part of it. So, uh, I took it. I was happy to do it.
0: Well, speaking of the Miami, we're going to speak with, uh, former coach Blase here, uh, oh, in, awesome. in a little bit. So he'll be the back end of this, uh, yeah. uh podcast. So uh, we, we do look forward to talking to him, uh, later on, uh, Jared a question for you, you after college, uh, you decided to go to the entire opposite side of the country <laughs> yeah. and play, uh, in what I've, what I've been told is probably one of the most beautiful areas in our country. Um, and you were able to play with the Alaska Aces of the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, you yeah. were also up there. You also had the opportunity to play with a, a former Cle- – or, or not former, but with another Cleveland guy,
1: yeah, uh, Russ yeah, Um
0: Russ played three seasons up there. What, how was it transitioning from, you know, here – and I know you, you guys have traveled a lot in your careers. Yeah. But how was the transition? And was having Russ there showing you the ropes, was that was that helpful? I mean, honestly, Russ was – the the
3: the key the key uh the cog in me getting up there uh you know for me i as we finished as i finished my playing career at brown um numa i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it obviously here uh that was started while i was still in school uh at least the idea of it um second semester my senior year kind of like a side project i just finished an entrepreneurship class i loved it and then this idea started kind of snowballing and (laughs) I I pretty much went into my year of pro knowing that it was, I had one year and that's what I wanted to do. And it was kind of, I had the opportunity to play. And at the same time, um, Brandon and I both were really excited about, um, about NUMA and kind of knew that like, okay, like to really kind of get this thing going, it's going to have to be full time. And so um, I actually wanted to play in Europe coming out of, of college, but it was the lockout and uh, and then 2012 there. So there was just like, there wasn't the right situation It's just like, there just wasn't the opportunity that like I was excited about to get over there for. And, and then between Russ and, you know, some you know, agents, whatever, but i just like really Russ, it just like helped me get a tryout up in, in Alaska. Uh, and, and yeah, I just kind of took that opportunity, ran with it, made the team and it was uh, looking back on it, it was, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say fortunate, <laughs> it was fortunate to make it for sure. But it's just like, there was again with the lockout. There was four Alas Native Alaskans that were NHLers that wanted to play on the team. So then there was, you know, kind of the guaranteed spots. Then there's four NHLers that are playing all forwards. You so see, there was like one or two spots open, basically. That name I draft definitely draft. wasn't penciled in. We're really so. good, so it's worth name dropping. them. Yeah, so it was. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it was Joey Crab. Um, Nate Thompson, Brian, uh, Brandon Dubinsky, and then Scott Gomez. So they're all on my team there, and they obviously—I mean—they're taking up four spots. And then there's all the returning guys, all the, you know, and they're a great team. So um, it's a who? cool situation. Who? Our, our team was—we
1: uh, <laughs> weren't bad. Brandon, who? Do, do, yeah. do Scott, go go. Who?
3: Yeah, exactly. So yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: stepped right into it, but it was, uh, yeah. I Needless mean, it was pretty fun to be on that team and. And having Russ up there was it was great too because you know we were we were great buds before it and it was just such an awesome experience and 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 like you mentioned being out in Alaska I'd never been actually haven't been back since then but like you know it's beautiful there um, had, had like again a number of Native Alaskans on our team and so um, the first and only time I've actually had true meat sweats was when I was at a uh, a buddy's <laughs> house and there was like the moose steak and the the uh, the halibut and the salmon and then like I forget what other like Big game meat that we had it was just like I ate so much, but like that—that that was the whole experience of it. I did like dog sled riding, so it was a really cool experience. And, and honestly, exactly, you know. A little bit you know the like coaches <laughs> this is this is bad but i'm just like the like you guys is happy to be here and it's just like i kind of am like this is awesome like, I, <laughs>
0: dude,
1: I, dude,
0: I just got the meat sweats for the first time <laughs> last night hell yeah i'm happy to be here yeah, man. yeah exactly I just ate so, elk
3: and moose and reindeer yeah yeah it was like literally that's what it was and so you know and at the same time like not that i would like i was that third line guy that was just doing whatever it took to stay in the lineup and like so again i was you know for brandon and i both kind of that same kind of hard-nosed player, so um and that's that's how I made the team got to stay in the lineup that way and so
0: well well, Jared I have to say this and and Lev was with me at this we went on a golf trip and one of our buddies got the meat sweats he ate so much prime rib and whatever else (laughs) and it's a scary thing to watch one of your buddies go down with the meat sweats I mean
1: all of us we're just we're just mealing away and all of a sudden he's just (laughs) literally sweating and we're like what what is wrong with you and he's like I think I got the meat sweats. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I, I'm going to say it now because everything's good, but it was funny, funny. funny. I'm like, no, you don't shut up. What is that? He's like, I'm telling you, it's real. Yeah. Well, I know yeah, that, yeah. that that's real. We've seen it. Yeah. And, and another question was what, what was your first reaction when you saw a live moose? I, I know in speaking with Russ, he sent me a video one time and yeah. he said, here I am on the way to practice. And the next thing you know, he flips the camera around and there's a moose with Christmas lights through its, its antlers, if you will, or, its, or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. What was your first thought when you saw the size of a moose? I believe they're, they're called
0: paddles, Jay. Whatever yeah. the hell they're
1: called, they're big. I think they're called paddles. They're canoe paddles. Uh, <clears throat> they're
0: massive.
3: And so the first one I saw actually, though, was there was a traffic jam on the way to practice. I mean, we didn't know what it was. And then as we get going, there's a moose crossing the highway. And like, you know, it's body's ahead above the car. Like we're in these times in, in Alaska, they'll give you like it's pretty rinky dink cars for you to drive around in, like, cause obviously everyone's flying up there. And so yeah, this thing is if it just bumps our car, it's gonna put it, you know, put it out of commission. So <laughs> it was it was cool. Like literally though, like we're we're passing this huge animal on the way to practice on the highway. Um yeah, those things are crazy. Like I said, and we were got to go snowmobiling, and, and like I didn't see any bears or anything. But yeah, they were uh, they are impressive.
1: That's awesome, Brandon. You played a little longer in the pros. You played three yeah. full seasons in the in the Central Hockey League. Yeah, we t- we talk on this podcast a lot about the path to a college or pro career. But what can you tell us about the other side of it? The decision to stop playing was uh-huh. it? Were, 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 I'm sure there were many factors involved. Or was it just you were ready to get on with the business side of career? It was.
2: It was. It was getting on with the business side, um, and like Jared, I, you know, I was having a great time playing. It, it took me some awesome places. We we had just that that last season. We both went in. We both went in knowing that or believing, like, hey, this is this season, and, and you know, we're actually starting to work on Numa and. Um, I'm in Kansas city that year, Jared's in Anchorage. So the uh, trying to sync up practice times and time zones was, was difficult between, you know, Alaska time and, 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 you know, being in Kansas city central, but I, uh, you know, it was, it was, we had just put down the framework and and, and done the work knowing that, Hey, this, you know, if, if, if we keep progressing on NUMA as, as we're planning, we're both going to just, you know, take the plunge and this is gonna be it and and we're gonna just move on so you know just just same as Jared and he mentioned it kind of um you know joking about it a little bit but I I did go through that season you know pretty much knowing it was gonna be it and I feel like I enjoyed it a lot uh just kind of or not you know not not that I was playing in the NHL but could go out and you know just kind of you know just just kind of soak in the moment knowing like wow like I, I I got to I got to play pro hockey and, and 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 live a life where you're you know you're showing up you know and and people are banging on the doors and the bus is crazy you know what I mean in in packed arenas where you know kind of and the one that was the craziest to me is going to Fort Wayne um just all you know that that old building for is like probably one of the best minor league like venues where they are pouring beer on you and stuff like that like, <laughs> not, and that's and that's for me the reason that. I was doing this experience um, was to just, you know, go out and f- just, just give it all you had and, and just enjoy playing hockey and, and just kind of savor it in. So, um, you know, it was, it, it was really just knowing that like, Hey, Numa's moving. I'm, I'm, we're going this direction. And I just went out there and enjoyed it that last year. So I, I don't have, you know, a, a different world. Like maybe, maybe we play longer, but, you know, I don't have any regrets of how we did it
3: because we just we, we just truly enjoyed it as it was wrapping up.
1: That's important. That's awesome. I mean, so, like
3: as so, no, I said, looking at it, I think that as we, we kind of had that feeling of like, we're trading quote unquote one opportunity that you dream about for another. Um, and and I think at the end of the day, our passion was starting to burn even, even hotter for, for starting the business together. And it was also kind of that, you know, uh, self-realization that it's just like, all right, like this kind of is coming to its natural end in terms of what's really getting us the most excited, um, as we kind of were winding down. So,
1: and, and on, on, along that line, I mean, you guys both knew it was, it was time to move on to the next career, if you will. Can you tell us the story about how your experimentation with uh, other sports drinks developed into what became NUMA?
0: Yeah. Oh, first of so, all, can you can you explain to our listeners? Is there a, I mean, what does NUMA mean?
3: Yeah, yeah. So it is a uh, it's a made up word. Um, stands for no more artificials. So we uh, we really couldn't figure out exactly what we wanted to call it at the time. Um, actually, original name was no more acid because I was getting acid reflux from it. But we've evolved, um, or acid reflux from Gatorade and Powerade. But we've evolved it into kind of a broader spectrum of of what the company really stands for uh but yeah it it the the like the impetus of the company was that i was getting acid reflux and kind of like the chest indigestion from drinking sports drinks on on the bench in college and um you know there was nothing that was you know Changing my life per se. Uh, but it was something, you know, like come in, freshman, free gear, free stuff, all this, and, you know, drink it, all the Gatorade that you want. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, I can't even like swallow because I have like, I was getting kind of like acid reflux and um, having that type of issue. So just like something that had to cut out. Uh, and then our business partner, um, Chris, at the time and co founder of the company, was, you know, asked if I had ever tried to solve the problem kind of thing and it was just like as i mentioned i just finished a entrepreneurship class realized i was really interested in that lifestyle um, and in that type of career i had a you know a a banking internship the the previous summer out in wall street and kind of realized after i told myself i loved it that i actually hated it Um, and i think the challenges of starting a business really resonated with both of us at the end of the day and so yeah, it kind of was that, that one small problem. Um, again, as my second, second semester senior year, um, I was had the, the good foresight into knowing that I should clear as much as I could off my plate for that second semester to have a good time in college. So I really didn't have that heavy of a workload. Um, and then Brandon was playing for Missouri and, uh, as, as I'm sure you guys very well know, like when it's not a game day and it's, you know, 10 a.m. practice you know you get your, your your skate in possibly a workout depending on the time of the year you know second half of the year probably not um you're just back and not doing much so called brandon up and said like hey like I, this isn't even this is not even anything right now this is what i'm thinking could just be something cool to do uh it's just is let's make a again at the time it was a non-acidic and just healthier for you sports drink um and so it was the three of us uh Brent and I and Chris, again, our, our other co-founder, um, working on it and getting getting unmarked powdered samples sent to the hockey house um, out so in Brown. And, not sketchy and... at all, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I need to
0: try this. Just a bunch of bags of powder rolling up under the door. <laughs> That's what it was. And, oh, sure, I'll try it. <laughs>
3: it's like, I'm sure you will.
0: <laughs> People start lining up at your door. Dude, this guy's getting a bunch of bags of powder up to his house. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That well, house is now burnt down. So, all right. <laughs> so, so obviously that was you know the start of having bags of powder delivered to your house. How has yeah. the product line evolved yeah. uh, since you guys started? Let's just say then, right? Sure. Talk us, talk, talk us through that.
2: Yeah. So the the product line. So for for from when we started kind of working thinking about this, this is you know 2012 uh, up until almost a year ago, we were, we were really working on one product and it was that same sports drink that we had been beating up and trying to perfect over and over. And it probably wasn't until about a year ago that we had felt like, okay, we're not knocking this down and rebuilding it. And and I think, you know, so much of, um, and I feel like we probably talked to a lot of hockey players when I say something like this, so much of the kind of the process that we went through, I think is akin to the lessons you learn in hockey. And, you know, we, we we were just like, we're a work in progress always. We gotta be getting better. And I think we probably went through at least fifteen formulations of that that original sports drink over and over and over. And as we were, you know, we, we moved back to Cleveland in uh the after the twelve thirteen season ended and we're back here, we're showing up at gyms and CrossFit and yoga studios and just bringing these samples and just knocking on doors, trying to show up and just get people to taste our drink. And, and, you know, we're going over that over and over. And as, as Jared kind of mentioned, the initial idea was trying to make a product that was going to be high pH to, to work on that acid reflux issue. And over the course of many years, what we eventually learned where we were going to, you know, have this product that resonated with people was going to be low sugar, zero added sugar, clean label organic and just high functionality without added garbage. And, and it took, it took a lot of time to actually understand that that's what, that's what we were trying to get to and then get that into the drink. And then, Oh, by the way, drinks kind of have to taste good or else people <laughs> don't want to buy them. Like, you know, you can have all these, these ideas and it can, it can look great, but if it doesn't taste good, people just don't want it. So it, it took many years to kind of get that all together. And then within the last year, um, we have launched two more products along the same product along those same ideas. We have one that's a uh, a pre workout or kind of energy type drink that you would drink before, as a, you know during in my hockey days, but definitely even more now. I love caffeine, um, so <laughs> I was you know always whatever it was, and it was actually the Alaska trips that got me going on it. Um, but just uh you know looking for a, a clean energy source like that you know didn't have a bunch of made up garbage ingredients stuff, you know, you'd pour out would be like bright neon yellow. Like we we tried to make that same concept that we had with our sports drink into an energy drink or a pre workout. And then we also made the current sports drink that we have in a powdered form too. Um, so we've been, you know, evolving that product line and just, you know, have, have been a, a work in progress, and trying to trying to get better every day. Saying that, like you know, we we know we don't we know we aren't there yet, but we can keep working on and just just you know make incremental improvements.
1: Well, Brandon, so. I know you said it, and and Jared, I know you've s- spoken to it. That the entrepreneurial spirit. How similar? Obviously, the game of hockey can relate to life in so many different ways. It really seems like how you went about developing yourself hockey wise, getting yourself to to the to the junior league. Getting yourself to college, playing through college, getting yourself pro—that's basically an entrepreneur, anyways. Because you're having yeah. to sell yourself, you're having to create yourself, and so it, it, it seems like it was just a natural transition from technically one sport to another. Totally going from, from hockey they, to Numa.
3: But and people do ask us a fair bit um, about you know the lessons we learned on the ice and being athletes translating <laughs> business and. and and the entrepreneurial journey. And I think a lot of people expect like the hyper competitiveness, like there's so many drinks out there and you want to win. And it's just like all of that, like, yeah, for sure. But I think what the most important things that we've taken from our hockey careers is our mentality about how we're going to be successful. And that idea that no one knows you anything. Um, especially for us as, you know, at the end of the day, like, not that it was like, we weren't ever in the end circle. <laughs> um, we were new to the sport. We didn't have a legacy. We weren't always like, and like we were getting cut on teams that we didn't think we should have been cut from. We were like, always it just like, it just wasn't like easy for us. And I think that, and that's the same story for so many people, not that we're unique in that, but I think what it was is a mentality towards it. And that like that understanding of when things go wrong, don't, externalize the problem, understand like what, what lesson can you learn and how can you be better? And, and, you know, I think as we started to get older and look back at, um, you know, our playing careers, it's just like, you know, when, when you're looking at college and, and pro coaches, it's just like, if they don't win, they don't get a new contract. They can't feed their family. They don't have it out for you. Like they need to win. it's it's not that they think you're you're you know like some bad guy and just like you're not their favorite because they're out to get you it's just like there's some reason that he doesn't want to play you and it's just like okay let's think through that and understand like okay not to like suck up to the coach but it's just like truly like how can you internalize what's going on why aren't I playing why am I on the power play why am I not getting more ice time that kind of thing that like having that ability to not just like blow off an issue or blow off something that happened to you as just like screw them I'm, I'm getting sewered out here and and really just take that to heart as just like a learning process um i think that and and brandon maybe want to talk about this but it's just like especially in pro it's just like when there's a new bag <laughs> in the locker room that's the same position as you it's just like what are you going to do are you going to freak out and let that ruin you or are you just going to just hey i can control what i can control I'm going to go out and do what I got to do every single day and that's what's gotten me here and I'm going to keep getting better at it but like what am i going to do go throw this guy's bag in the shower and now he can't skate? it's like no It was just like <laughs>
0: I think that's a lot of like that sounds like something done before I huh? know I was gonna
1: <laughs> yeah, say right? it sounds like
3: something totally hypothetical <laughs> <you> know, <no? laughs>
0: yeah yeah
2: you know and, and, and kind of along those lines of what Jared was saying then I'll tell my a little bit you know is that you know, when, when that coach is making the lineup and like, okay, in and out, you know, the that same goes for like the grocery buyers that we're working with. And, you know, as they're, as they're evaluating what drinks they're going to bring in, what they're going to get rid of. It's not like they, not like they have it out for us or anyone, like that person's in a seat where they're judged on making right decisions and, and trying to win for their company. And it, it's, uh, it's learning to realize that's the decisions that those people are making are just, it's not personal. It's they're they are trying to do the best that they can to win. So if they're saying no, there's a reason they said no, and there's a way you need to be better at it. Um, and I think we've, we've brought a lot of that, excuse me. And then for me personally, I think the, uh, you know, kind of learning learning to do and getting better when you don't necessarily realize in the moment has paid off a ton. And when, when I got to college, um, my first year, first two years for the most part, uh Rico and 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 the staff there asked me to play defense. And I played my whole life as a forward. And they said you your spot on this team is as a defenseman. And I hated it. Um, but I, I I came every day and worked. And I I didn't think I was very good. I I was frustrated about why I thought they were wasting me and like I, I could be so much better up there. Like I, I know I can make an impact, but they said, like, we need you back here. This is what we need to do. And I I, just, I came and worked. I, I controlled what I could control. Had a good attitude about it. And then at the end of my college career, I, I actually, like, th- we had a, a really important game against Michigan in the uh, district finals to go to the Frozen Four. The defenseman goes down. I have to play D in the finals. We win the game. We go to the Frozen Four. Um, and and kind of all this training to be D, like, was really important for this this big moment and then as i got to pro it was even more important as a guy who wasn't going to be a you know a huge point getter at that level but but playing double a just being like hey i can play forward or d out here and they every team i was on used me in both situations all over the place and it, it frankly kept me on teams all the time because instead of having to be you know what are the nine best forwards or six best D I could just be one of the 16 best skaters right so I could just make a team because they knew I could just do whatever and you know kind of getting that back into business is so much of our journey with this as a a small challenger brand that doesn't have anything like you have to learn how to just adapt your strategy to do many things that you know the thing that you thought was going to be your bread and butter on day one maybe isn't bread and butter and 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 we've pivoted our strategy and changed what our the composition of our drink what it looks like you know how we're going to sell and and we initially thought this is you know our business is going to have a ton of grocery and now it's way more e-com or just all those types of things that you know you you thought that that was this but you just kind of learned like i just need to learn to create value and help this team win and whatever the situation is, we'll just we'll figure it out and we'll roll with it. And those were just, you know, I, th- I think the, the epitome of those lessons I learned in hockey, just like it, it just translates. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's kind of, for me, how, how I think about a couple tangible examples of, of how that journey helped.
0: Well, not only is NUMA a, a brand turning into an empire, uh, your dominance in the summer elite league is uh, also reaching empire status <laughs> as well. Um, what is on the horizon for NUMA? uh, with new flavors, new products, uh, you know, can, before we, uh, uh, step away from this conversation, can you tell our listeners what can they expect to see new flavors, new lines coming out? Yeah,
3: no, there is actually a new line coming out in about a month, month and a half. Um, I won't give the exact product, but it's something that you can drink after a workout. So we're kind of filling in that that gap, um, where we have stuff before during kind of right after, and then a drink that we're coming out with is, uh, you know, a little bit later in the, uh, the workout or the, uh, competition process in terms of helping the athletes out. So, um, that'll be launching soon. So I think, you know, product wise, that's big for us. Uh, and I think that in general, that we, um, are more and more motivated to, to keep things moving forward because of what we can see all the positive impact we can make beyond our drink too. So, Um, we're really excited to, you know, as, as Brandon mentioned, it took us a while to really kind of zero in on, on our recipe, not just the actual drink, but formula for for success as a business. And I think that with that focus and how we're getting that done allows us again, that success as a company, but also then to grow the things that, um, you know, we get really excited about as well. Our, we call it our sweat and do good part of our company. So, um, Different than the meat sweats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way different. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> slightly. Fun, do, good. Distant cousin. Um, different than the
0: meat sweats.
3: Yeah. So, so. That, that's hopefully for us is, you know, internally it's staying focused and, and keep growing in the way that we can now have proven is 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 really good for the business. And then that really fuels the growth of the brand.
0: So. Uh, awesome. Well, gentlemen, uh, we thank you uh, tremendously for coming on, uh, talking to us about your careers, talking to us about uh, the great things that Numa has to offer i can give you give our listeners a personal uh, attribution that i have had Numa many times and it's very very good very very uh, like you said it's very low acid so um, i enjoy drinking it um, but uh, we hope to k- keep in touch have you guys on uh, a few more times talk about your product maybe after it launches uh, in a month and a half we can get you guys on to talk about the the, the tease that you gave us yeah. today. So, <laughs> um, wonder what it is. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <He's> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so thanks guys. Appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, have a great, uh, f- uh fall leading into the winter. And, uh, we look forward uh, to more hearing about NUMA, uh, sports drink. Awesome. Appreciate
3: it. Thanks for having us on.
0: Pack to the gills with NUMA on the bus heading to Oxford, Ohio. Time to sit down with former head coach of the Miami RedHawks hockey team, coach Enrico Lazzi. Our next guest spent 20 seasons at the helm of the Miami University Red Hawks, helping put the program on the map of powerhouses in college hockey. After being the youngest Division I coach in all of college hockey in 1999, he went on to put together one of the most accomplished resumes in the game. Listeners get ready, this is gonna be a long resume. He is the winningest coach in Miami history, the 2006 Spencer Prenrose Award winner for the National Coach of the Year, 5 times CCHA Coach of the Year. His team's had 20 more wins a year, 12 times, 10-time NCAA Tournament Qualifier, three regular season championships, two conference tournament championships, two Frozen Four Appearance, and one NCAA National Runner-Up, 14 NCAA All-Americans, four CCHA Players of the Year, 30 nhl players 29 redhawks were drafted to the nhl under his helm he had 10 hobie baker finalists and one hobie baker winner a 1994 graduate of miami university from weston ontario please welcome on air a huge bon jovi fan enrico blase welcome coach thanks for
4: having me that's a good uh that last part is true actually i am a big bon jovi fan
1: what's your what's your favorite song
4: Oh, I love all of them, actually. But uh, living on a prayer must – it's got to be right up there, right? At any, so. at
1: any time, have you ever karaoke'd Wanted Dead or Alive?
0: <laughs> One time? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if you, if you did, were, were you the lead or were you uh, Richie Zambora's backup vocal? No, I'm the lead. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, as I say uh, to our listeners, I just get to read – the unbelievable resume that our guests get to put together like yourself. Congratulations on all the accomplishments that you have uh, so far and, and pushing forward. But um, can you talk to our uh, listeners and us about how you got your start in hockey uh, back in your youth days and how it progressed?
4: Sure. Uh, You know, I'm a first generation Italian uh, grew up, growing up in Toronto and uh, my mom and dad really didn't know anything about hockey. uh, But, um, you know, the, the neighborhood kids were playing on the outdoor rink and I happened to be the youngest of some of my neighbors and they brought me along. I think I was like three or four. Um, and, uh, it just progressed from there playing on the outdoor rinks till, uh, probably I was about seven, seven years old. And then, uh, I remember saying to my dad, some of my classmates wanted to, uh, or were playing hockey at the local rink. A house uh, program there and my dad's like there's no way we're paying for hockey for you like you know i'm working from six to six every night uh, my dad was a cabinet maker my mom was a seamstress uh, blue collar family um and so i remember i remember uh kind of sulking a little bit at seven years old as a uh, seven-year-old would do and uh, my grandfather who was living with us at the time um said i'll take you and so we got on the bus didn't have any equipment i had skates uh we went to the to the arena which was about probably about three or four miles uh, down the road uh, but we took the bus because that's what you did in toronto and uh, we got off i got uh, some equipment from the from the arena got on the ice uh you know i guess the rest is history but I will tell you though that my dad showed up that same night to watch me uh, try out for the house team. And, um, and then from there, it just uh, kind of snowballed. I, I loved playing. Uh, it was a family affair. My brother played, my, uh, my dad fell in love and um, you know, he just did everything that he could um, to help us get through AAA hockey in Toronto. And in those days, it was for us, it was a lot of money. It was a commitment. And uh, the one thing my dad always said to, to my brother and myself was that uh, as long as we worked hard, he was happy. And, and, uh, and so that we tried to do that. That was something that was instilled in us at a very young age.
0: It's funny. I, uh, we, we talked to another Miami grad, Steve Morris, a couple weeks ago. And uh, Steve tells us kind of a similar story. So, I just, I, I, the landscape of the youth hockey in Toronto back in those days, I mean, he, he almost couldn't play. Cause he signed two contracts with at like five years old, yeah. you know,
4: <laughs> the MTHL at the time, the GTHL, which is, it's known now was, uh, you know, they ran it like the NHL, to be honest with you. We had nine teams, eight teams at one point, nine teams, uh, in the local Toronto area, Metro Toronto area. And, uh, it was a big deal and you had to sign cards and you had to sign two year cards and, um, you know, Steve Morris, uh, who, who, you know, played at Miami. His brother was one of my assistant coaches oh. growing up, uh, Mike. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, down the road, we kind of got a connection to Miami. But um, yeah, that's, it's, as you can imagine, uh, in any sport at a high level, um, they, they take it pretty serious. And, and hockey in Toronto was, you know, we were named after either the Toronto Red Wings, uh, you wore the Red Wing jersey. You know they had the the Canadians wore the Canadians jersey, all that stuff. So um, it was uh, it was a big deal. And if you were playing AAA, you had to you really had to commit to it. Yeah.
1: What was the landscape of hockey like during those days? Basically, from your your junior days to going to college, what was the land the the true landscape like for you? Uh, for me,
4: it was you know in in the eighties, it was uh, all about major junior. Um, it was all about the bigger player. Uh, the clutch and grab NHL kind of style, major junior, uh, you know, my the guys that I played against were guys like Eric Lindros. We were the same age. Um, so you can imagine the size difference there. Yeah. But uh, we had some great battles. Uh, Eric was obviously, obviously a great player, uh, went on to, to to do great things in, in the game. Uh, but in those days, a smaller player was, was not really uh, something that uh, the NHL, let alone major junior, was really looking at. Um, so for me, as a smaller player, uh, I had to kind of find my way around. Um, and at the time, college hockey was, was the right fit for me. And, um, you know, there was still a red line back then, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things have evolved for the better in our game, in our sport. Um, but it was, uh, it was a very competitive time. Um, I happen to be lucky enough to play on one of the best teams in our age group, uh, coached by Stan Butler, who, uh, for me was, was awesome. Uh, I played for him, you know, right all the way through. We were, we were a group that stayed together, which is probably very, uh, not something that happens a lot in today's world where guys that were eight or nine stayed together with the same coach to, uh, you know, till juniors for us when we left to play college. Um, 15 of my teammates all play college hockey, uh, uh, from our junior team. And about 10 of us stayed together from, you know, when we were 11 to, to 18. So we, we were lucky and we had a, a really good program. Stan ran a really, uh, top notch program, uh, Kevin Burkett, uh, another name, uh, all these names don't mean anything to the, to the listeners, but, uh, I need to mention them because they're very, a, a very big part of my. Uh, upbringing and my career, uh, not only as a player but as a coach as well. So uh, I was very lucky to play with good teammates and we won a lot of championships. Um, we won, you know, provincial championships. We played for national championships and um, you know, it was just a great time. It was a great atmosphere for us. We we learned a lot. We grew up together um, and, uh, you know, then when we left, la- I remember the last game I played junior hockey, uh, we lost in triple overtime. Uh, in the championship, in the playoff championship, and we knew for that group of 15 guys that it was the end, and some of us were going to play together uh, in college, and some of us were going to play against each other, and uh, it was a very, uh, I still remember the feeling that I had in the locker room um, when we said our goodbyes, uh, not, not as friends, but as teammates, mm-hmm. and we the era was coming to a close, and we did a lot of good things and a lot of player. you know, everybody went on to play college hockey, like I said. Uh, the guys that didn't leave that year left the next year, played an extra year junior. Um, so I'm very proud to be a, uh, been a part of that uh, program, the Wexford Raiders. Very proud to have played for Stan Butler and Kevin Burkett. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it was a great, uh, a great time in our lives as young uh, hockey players growing up in Toronto.
0: So... You 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 finish out playing your junior uh, playing days and you attend Miami. Um, how did you settle on Miami? You know, I think it's it's a lot of our listeners, and you listen to our, our show before, Coach, we, when we talk to college hockey players, we, we, we want our listeners to know, like, how do you choose on a school that's right for you, right? Yeah. So how did you choose on Miami uh, which was right for you? That's a great question. That's something that we,
4: you know, as I have taken my year off here, uh, before COVID, and try to kind of uh, observe and and do my homework uh, and kind of re-energize uh, myself in, in the coaching world. Um, that's a that's a huge question for these young kids right now. And um, there's so much that goes on in our world with social media and what your buddy's doing. And you now you got agents involved, and you know you got all these programs that are doing a great job, and they talk about development and. You know, what is development? Everybody has a different uh, definition for development, which that's another, probably another podcast and another day. <laughs> um, but for me, it was, it was very important that I paid for somebody that I could trust, somebody that had a vision, somebody that I got along with, somebody that I thought I could uh, grow, not only as a hockey player, because I knew, you know, and hockey is only gonna be uh, in my life for so long in terms of a player, Um, I wanted to know that I could grow as a person. Um, And, you know, and and I go back to Mike Morris as an example, Steve's brother, who was one of our assistant coaches. One of the things that our midget, um, you know, U18, U16 team, and then our junior team that we played for, one of the things that was really important for our coach was to go and visit some of these schools as a team. We had a lot of guys that were interested in college hockey, so we would go and play their JV team on a Saturday. Um, So we made a lot of college visits. We visited Michigan State. We went to Michigan. We went to Cornell. We went to St. Lawrence. We went to Clarkson. We went to Miami. Um, And so we got a good feel of the campuses and and then playing the different uh, junior varsity teams. Um, uh, And so we got an idea of what college hockey was all about. We got a chance to watch games and things like that. George Guazdecki was the assistant coach at Michigan State for a long time um, uh, before he got to Miami as the head coach. And I was my, my goal was to play for Michigan State, to be quite honest with you. Uh, my two line mates were going to Michigan State. Uh, that's where I wanted to go. George was uh, before he left to come to Miami was. uh in correspondence with me uh not as much as my two line mates unfortunately <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless still, still part of the, the recruiting process so um but then he gets the job at miami and uh, now he goes a little bit harder a little bit uh, stronger in the recruiting uh, mike norton was uh, an assistant coach for him at miami uh, i think i I, I laugh and I, I looking back because I think he sent Mike Norton to our our practices at least once a week and he might have been at every game uh, just so that uh, some of myself and some of my teammates were feeling love in terms of coming to Miami. but when George came to the house and recruited us uh, you know the in-house visit, um, it, it was really important for my family that you know, the person that I went eight hours away to, uh, we were going to be able to trust, like I said earlier. And the feeling in our household when George left the house was this is the guy we're going to play for. Um, this is the guy we're going to you're going to trust. And basically, my dad said, he's yours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do what you <laughs> want <laughs> on with
4: him. Uh, make sure he doesn't embarrass the family. Uh, make sure he works hard. If he doesn't work hard, let me know. We'll bring him home. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how we made our decision. We wanted to, uh, you know, George's vision at the time, we were going to be, we're going to build Miami. Miami. Miami was a Division one program for probably not even 10 years at the time. It was on the chopping blocks in 89 uh, in terms of uh, programs uh, that might get cut uh, when George took over. Uh, we didn't have full scholarships. My freshman year, I, I believe, was the first year Uh, Miami had full complement of scholarships compared to everybody else in the league and in the country. So it was a a program that was up and coming. I believed in what George was preaching in terms of teamwork and family and uh, being the best you could be. And, uh, you know, he he was true to his word. I mean, he recruited a bunch of guys that believed in that. Um, You know, in my freshman year, we won five games. My junior year, we won the league. Yeah. and went to the national tournament and to this day is probably one of the the biggest moments of any one of us that played on that team including George uh he's gone on record a, a, a number of times uh, saying that that was probably one of the biggest thrills of his life because we went from being a program that nobody knew and a bunch of guys that were kind of you know I don't want to say weren't recruited by the big programs because some of us were but um you know, it was kind of like, let's put this team together and let's get all the pieces together and let's see where we could go. And, um, you know, we, we ended up winning a championship two years later. It's a pretty special moment.
0: You know, Coach, I just want to kind of jump in on something you said there. And, and um, you know, you talked when, when George came and talked to you and you, you, you knew this was the guy that you could trust and your family could trust to, to play for. And, and as players, you have to find that, uh, that coaching staff, that school, to be the, the right fit. But also, you know, we get a lot of uh, high school, junior uh, coaches college that listen to our podcast as well. It's also the job of the coach as well to prove that trust of the players. Right. No question. No so, question. so not only like you have this, you know, George, not only did he say he was going to take care, like for, I would assume as a parent, your parents sat there and said, this guy, we have to trust this guy, but not only did he say it, he then proved it, and I think that's a huge part of this whole process as well.
4: Well, you know, as a leader, you have to be authentic and you have to model the way. And and we knew, you know, my dad's like, you know, we, you know, to George, we don't want him, we don't want you to be easy on him. No, right, like, right, right. needs To grow up, right. A lot of times, you know, kids these days look at coaches that are, you know, is he the right fit? You know, sometimes being uncomfortable makes you grow a little bit more. Um, you know, and so. Uh, it, it was important that we had somebody that would challenge us in the growth as a player and as a person. Yeah. And it's not going to be, uh, you know, as a parent, it's not always hunky-dory and it's not always great. Uh, there's always challenges, but you have to be able to have a conversation. You have to be able to know that they're going to be there for you. And when things are tough, they're going to put an arm around you. When things are maybe good, maybe push you a little bit, even maybe to the point where you don't feel good about it, uh, but it's to, it's for your own good. And, you know, the the, the the even for me as a player now, 20, whatever, 25, 30 years later, um, I look back at those moments and say, well, that's what shaped me. Yeah, did I hate that going through that? Absolutely. But that's what shaped me as a person, as a coach, as a player, as a husband, as a father, um those are the experiences and and everybody goes through those. As we get older, we get a little wiser, right? So (laughs) So when we're young, we think we know it all and we don't. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the evolution as a, as a human being. And, um, you know, that's part of making that good decision. That's part of, uh, you know, and, and for me at 18, I, you know, I had to rely on my mom and dad a little bit too, to give me some guidance on, on what the decision was going to be. Um, because it needed to be a family decision. When I recruited players, I always wanted the family involved. If the family wasn't involved, I told my assistant coaches, throw a red flag because this isn't going to go well. We need everybody on the same page. Otherwise, we can't do what we need to do, and we can't do what we promised we're going to do.
1: Right. Perfect. So, so, Coach, as, as the, the playing days are dwindling down, was, Coaching always something you thought you'd get into or something you always thought you wanted to do?
4: You know, again, I, I go back to not being a very big hockey player, and I don't say that to, <clears throat> to play down my my abilities because I think I had a pretty decent college career. Um, but the reality was at 5'6", you're not going to probably make a big big living playing the game. And I still loved the game. I had passion for the game. I loved the the nuances, the strategy. Um, you know, the, the, just being around my teammates and um, you know, just being in that locker room. And so, when I knew I wasn't going to play for very long, uh, I wanted to do something in the game. What that was, I had no idea. I had a conversation with George uh, after I graduated. He now had taken the job over in Denver uh, at the University of Denver, and I remember having a a brief conversation with him about coaching, and he said, Rico, have you ever thought about getting into coaching? I said, no. You know, I've kind of thought about it, but not really. I want to play. He goes, well, when you're done playing and you think you want to get into coaching, you give me a call. Well, sure enough (laughs) it didn't last very long my playing (laughs) career uh, for a lot of different reasons which is okay it's all good um i ended up going home after a a little brief stint in the east coast league uh, in camp uh never did play a regular season game i was i was a healthy scratch a couple of times in toledo and uh after a couple of weeks of skating every day and not playing any games i decided uh I decided this is probably not for me. And uh, I, I went home back to Toronto. Uh, my The junior team I had played for was looking for an assistant coach, uh, somebody to work with the young guys and help them kind of get through the SATs and uh, the process of getting into college and being a sounding board. I worked for gas money, uh, which was I think I was getting 50 bucks a month for, for gas. And uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, we were we had a really good season. We lost in the finals of the of the junior uh, playoffs. And uh, in the meantime, George was recruiting our captain, Gavin Morgan. Um, and we went to lunch. Uh, George said, "What do you what are you doing next year?" I said, I "Have no idea. I know I can't work for fifty dollars a month. <laughs> gas money. My parents will kick me out of the house." So. <laughs> um he said why don't you come be our graduate assistant uh i'll we'll, you'll get your master's degree at the university of denver and uh, we'll give you a stipend and you can work with the hockey team and start your coaching career uh it took me all about five seconds to say yes convincing my mother and father uh that i was leaving again was probably the hardest thing um, so i packed my bags that summer i had no car no money, Uh, went to Denver, Uh, you know, George took care of me. I was a graduate assistant the first year uh, slash volunteer coach Uh, was getting my masters. uh, And then that next summer, one of the assistants left to be an NHL scout and George hired me full time as an assistant. Three years later, the Miami job opens up and that's a whole different
0: story in, in itself. So oh, did you did you uh, ever think about staying or going back to the junior level or just staying college? You knew college was your thing.
4: I mean, once I got to uh, to Denver and worked with George, uh, you know, I loved the atmosphere. I loved what we were doing. It was you're, you're building something. You got these yeah. guys for four years. You're developing them uh, emotionally, intellectually, physically, mentally. It's it's just a, a huge process of that you undertake and something that really just Makes you feel like you're doing something worthwhile and right. to see those guys grow and play at a high level um, uh, and then maybe grow and get married and have kids and become successful businessmen or lawyers or whatever they may be teachers or coaches uh, that's that that was what i wanted to be a part of that was, that was that was what kind of drove me to to stay in the college game
0: you know coach they they uh, and when I say they, I'm not quite sure who they are, but unless you're involved in coaching at some level, whether it's the youth, the high school, the juniors, the collegiate, uh, the juniors, the pro, it doesn't matter. Uh, they say when a player uh, – that you're showing a player something and they get it, it's, it's like a thing of beauty, right? They, they It's like, oh, my gosh, they understand this concept that we uh, – they're believing in us, they're trusting in this. You know, I know you've probably had many players uh, that you've coached over the past uh, that have just made – coaching easy for you but can you talk about a few of them for us oh gosh
4: coaching easy no <laughs> uh, but you're right i think the moment where where the light goes off in the young person's head and they get it and they have success you can see that mm-hmm. um it's, it's it's the only thing i can compare it to is if you have a, a daughter or son and you know you you've been harping on a certain thing all the time and they finally get it and you know their their smile, and you just feel like you know you just feel so proud of them, and that's the feeling that a coach gets when uh, that young person does something that maybe they didn't even think they could do. And to name a few players would be in my in my mind probably the wrong thing to no, do. Oh no, right, right. I don't mean
0: I don't mean to, was, like I don't want names. There just so like many of them. Yeah. Right maybe instances of, of times that play. Oh, I mean, there,
4: there were times where, you know, the, 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 freshman would come in and, you know, he would fight you on tooth and nail until, and it might take a year. It might take two years. It might take two weeks. Uh, but when they get it, it is, it's, it's such a great feeling. And, and sometimes it's frustrating.
0: Yeah.
4: Sometimes you have to push hard and sometimes they don't like you. And that's your job, you know, as a coach, that's your job as a parent. Um, that you push them. Now, you know, sometimes you regret some of the pushing, you know, that when you're a family and that's the way we kind of ran our program at Miami, because to me, being authentic and being the person that you are was really important, uh, in my leadership style. Um, we were going to be a family. We were going to be open about everything that we did. We were going to be hand in hand in everything that we did. I wanted to know everything that you were doing. Um, And if you were doing something wrong, I was going to let you know, if you're doing something good, I was going to let you know. And, but the relationship part was really important. And if the relationship was at a high level, then those things were, you know, I don't want to say brushed over, but those things could be accepted a little bit easier. Um, So there were, there were plenty of times where, you know, our teams went from being just an average team to a, above average team because the players on that team believed in what we were doing collectively as a group and they grew and the light bulb went off and they started to have success. And then that's when coaching becomes, okay, now you guys got it. Now, now you guys run with it. We'll just guide you and we'll, we'll kind of massage you here and there a little bit. And uh, that's the fun part, you know, when you get to that, to that level. Uh, But it's a process. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, <laughs>
1: there, there's a reason they say you got to fall in love with the process. Yeah, right.
4: Got <clears> to <throat> fall in love with the process is right, and and like I said, there's lots of really good times uh, in that process, and there's some times where it's tough, but that's that's what makes the the, the the championships. That's what makes the success. And and let me let me rephrase that because having success doesn't mean winning championships. Uh, having success means you, you graduate. Having success means you, 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 you know, you're together as a team and you go through adversity and you come out the other side better for it. That's success. Right. And and in our society today, I think sometimes, you know, we have a little bit of a misconstrued opinion about what success really means. And then we get ourselves in a pickle and, I mean there's plenty of examples out there. We don't need to get political about it, but um you know life is life will give you it will throw you curveballs and the way you handle it is is really important. That's it makes who you are as a person. And all the experiences that you've had along the way shape you and how you handle those situations.
0: Right. I uh, I I joke uh, I Lev and I have been involved in coaching high school here in the state of Ohio for over 20 years. And, and um, I, I joke a lot about, you know, our players at, from age 14 to, to 18. We, we ask them to bring something to the rink every day. And they usually bring inconsistency every day, right? And at least they bring that, right, Coach? But, but we, we talk about distractions. And, and, you know, you think about the distractions at a high school level. But just like kids growing up, I mean, as, as being fathers, all of us on the this, on this Zoom call, as, as the older our kids get, the bigger the problems get, right? As older as hockey players, and we'll just use hockey players in this sense, when they move on from high school to juniors, from juniors to college, the distractions get bigger as well. So the type of management has to be even more blown up, out of proportion. Does that make sense? Was that, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And that, to me, it comes
4: down to the culture. And that to me comes down to the recruiting and the environment that you're gonna set as a coach. And that was really important for us at Miami, to set an environment of family, an environment of relationship, of, of uh, environment of process. Because once you have a roadmap of how you're supposed to live your life, then it's a little bit easier to hold them accountable. Uh, when we got to Miami in 99, um, again, we are taking over a program just like George did in 89, where, you know, one of the reasons why yours truly at a, at a tender age of 27 got the job was because Miami was on the chopping block again. They were cutting programs, hockey was one of them. Uh, Steve Cady at the time did a really unbelievable job, along with the guy by the name of Mitch Korn, getting together and, and kind of building uh, an alumni base where they could save the program with some additional funds uh, so that the athletic department wasn't uh, strained on you know giving money to the program for travel or sticks or whatever it may be recruiting and so they they saved the program well you know in the hockey world in the college world I was an assistant coach at the time I can tell you full well people were saying don't go to Miami because in a year or two they're going to cut the program well not only was it my alma mater but I'm 27 years old, so if they cut the program, I'll still be 29. Uh, So I really had nothing to lose. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, three or four guys decided that, uh, well, two guys for sure I know decided they didn't want the the head coaching job that were either standing head coaches or prominent assistant coaches in, in college hockey. And so all of a sudden now we're left with all these young guys and I happen to be the, uh, you know, the only alum in the list, on the list and Joel Maturi, who was the athletic director at Miami uh, two years prior was their athletic director at the University of Denver. So he knew me very well. Um, I was a single guy at the time. I spent a lot of time at the office breaking down film from the VHS to VHS with a little <laughs> editing machine. Uh, probably if I knew what I was doing at the time, it would only take me three or four hours, but I had to learn it, so it took me 10 hours. and uh, We had a lot of good conversations with Mr. Maturi those day, in those days, and so it was just a natural fit for me to work for such a great human being and Joel Maturi and him giving me the opportunity to be the head coach at Miami in 99 was, was just a thrill. So in any event, when we took over, we wanted to – establish some sort of culture that was evident when we were players here at Miami, but even more so. When we were players at Miami, we called ourselves a brotherhood. We didn't really have any meaning behind it, any, any sort of uh, uh, brand integrity, if you will, in the business world. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind, we wanted to bring this, this theme of brotherhood, this theme of family and and being a close-knit team um, to the forefront so we needed to recruit to it Uh, we needed to preach about it we needed to sell it Um, and then when i felt like we had um, the program where i I thought we could start to unveil some of this mission and vision and business plan um, in 2004 we had uh, joel Maturi had moved to the university of minnesota we Brad Bates uh, uh, was now our athletic director, and he was unbelievable for me because he challenged me to bring this brotherhood, this plan that I had, uh, that we had as a staff, to another level. His, His exact words were, Rico, you need to become the CEO of your program. And so in 2003, 2004, that's, that was his challenge to me. I needed to go out and learn how to be the CEO, learn to think at 20,000 feet, learn that the the 1,000 feet stuff is great. It's the fun part. It's the minutia of the everyday stuff. It's the things at 20,000 feet that nobody sees, including your assistant coaches and your staff, that you need to be really good at. And developing the brand and developing the, the brand integrity was for you know pretty much at the forefront of what we what i did on a daily basis the coaching part was great we were starting to have success we're making the national tournament we were starting to attract some really good high-end players because the new building was on the horizon Um, guys like andy green ryan jones nathan davis good ohio kid from cleveland Um, matt davis his brother you know these are These are the types of kids we were starting to bring into our program, which is unbelievable because now we're starting to kind of make headway in our league. But we needed to be different than everybody else. We weren't Michigan. We weren't Michigan State. We weren't Ohio State. We didn't have the Big Ten uh, name. We didn't have the Notre Dame name. How are we going to be different? So this this was an important piece to the success of Miami in our tenure was this brotherhood. And then building it from there, uh, I should I should probably mention Alec Martinez is a big part of that that early group too. Uh, he's gone on to win a couple of Stanley Cups and score some big goals, just like he did for us.
1: He's he's done okay. He's done okay. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. He's, yeah. Uh,
4: in any event, uh, as we're building the brotherhood and we're building the brand and the integrity, um, we we had Brad introduced me to this. Uh, Person named Don DePaulo, who was a leadership consultant out of Detroit, and he was going to come into the athletic department and do a strategic plan for the athletic department. And Brad said, "Why don't you go meet with him in Detroit and just get a feel for what he does and see if he can, you know, you know, see what he's going to bring to the table for athletic department? You know, you never know. It's, it's uh, he's a good guy. You know, I didn't think anything of it. We had just come off winning a championship in the CCHA." our staff was recognized as national coach of the year. You know, I'm thinking, man, this is, we got this thing figured out, right? We're making <laughs> national tournaments. We're going into a new building. We don't need any help. <laughs> so I, I remember going to Detroit at a Panera Bread, um, in Trenton, Michigan. And, uh, I sit down and I meet this guy, Don DePaulo. And, uh, we start talking about leadership, we start talking about culture, and I start telling him what we're doing, and, and he's just throwing ideas. And, and finally, after about an hour of talking, I said, hey, uh, Don, you think you can work with us? And, uh, oh, by the way, Don, I have no money to give you. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he, he looked at me. I, I don't know if the conversation went really well, if it, if it was something that he believed in. But he came on board and for no money, started to kind of really now shape our entire culture. And now, mind you, this culture thing has been going on for six years now, five, six years. And that's the other, you know, that's one of the things I always laugh. Some of these uh, uh, comments I hear on social media and uh, in the business world and. You know oh we're going to change the culture change the culture we're going to this, this well you know what culture takes time you just can't go in and do one thing and think the culture is going to change you have to do the entire thing you have to if you're going to go into culture you got to go in with both feet and you got to stay in it for a long time before it starts to take for, you know uh, take on and and so Again, it's been going on for a while. Don came in, we put what I call culture code in place, uh, the Brotherhood. It was. It's the roadmap to how we recruited, how we played, how we lived our lives uh, away from the ice, on the ice, in the weight room. To me, the question you asked earlier, the distractions become less when you focused on what you're supposed to do day to day, make good decisions. I want you to have fun, but this is our roadmap, not just for our program and Miami, but for you as an individual in your growth and your maturity as a person, first and foremost, because you cannot be a good person enough, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. and, and then also as a hockey player and all the players we're starting to recruit want to play in the National Hockey League. Okay, if that's the case, well, this is what you have to do. You have to prepare. You have to help be held accountable. Your daily behaviors have to be top notch. Uh, You have to be consistent in your your behavior and your actions. Um, And the team dynamics have to be so good and so tight that you're gonna have success as a team. And if you have success as a team, individuals will start to have success because everybody's watching you at the end of the year. And if you're playing in those important games, chances are somebody's going to notice you and give you an opportunity. So that's how, that's how the the brother kind of developed. That's the roadmap, the code culture code that you need so that those distractions, because there's plenty of them, right. Uh, Whether it's, If you're of age, going to bars at the college level, uh, making sure you're getting up and going to class every day, being a good person was the most important thing for me. Good things happen to good people. If you're a good person, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, if you're focused on what you're doing, then when you get to the rink, and I would say this every day, when you get to the rink, if you're doing what you're supposed to, you're not going to be distracted because you're focused on getting better. But if you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, and you're, you're worried if I'm going to find out about it, you're distracted. You're not here, and you can tell if the player's distracted or not. Um, and, that's, and that's also part of the, the culture that we wanted to create. Because that's going to happen, right? Sometimes you have to be a psychologist as a coach. Sometimes you just have to be dad. Sometimes you have to be mom. Sometimes you have to be grandpa. Sometimes you have to be hard. Sometimes you have to be soft. And so when, when you're with your players, you have that relationship and that culture that's so good, you can tell when one of your guys is hurting. And that's where the relationship has to be good. That's when you put your arm around them and say, okay, what's going on? Uh, Mom and dad are not doing well. Something's going on at home. My dog died. Grandpa died. You know, something always happens. It's life. And you have to be able to adjust. There's no playbook for that. You have to just be there and you have to feel it and you have to live it with them. And I think that's what I tried to do in my 20 years.
0: Um, Was it always good?
4: You know, that's debatable, I guess, but. uh, Well, from all the
0: Miami people that we talked to players that played for you, it was definitely good. Yes. I appreciate that. And,
4: And I'm so proud of all of them. Whether they played a game in the National Hockey League, never played a game in the National Hockey League, they all meant the world to me. And, you know, there wasn't a night where I didn't go to sleep thinking, you know, are they gonna be okay? And what are they doing? Um, Just like a parent would. Um, I slept with my phone for 20 years by my side. Um, Why? Just because. Uh, you know, in case, just in case, and there was, I can tell you, there were knocks at the door at two in the morning, you know, and I, have I, never told that to people. Um, I'm telling you now because now it's 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 a, it's a it's part of my life in the past. But there were knocks at two in the morning. There were tears that I had to wipe away. Um, there were situations that were re- very difficult. There were situations that I had no idea how to handle and had to bring in other people to help me handle it. Right. Uh, But that's all part of coaching. That's that's, that's part of what I loved so much of of my time at Miami and I love the players that played for us because, like I said, every one of them had a big part in all of those championships that you mentioned and all the national tournaments, whether they played in them or not. There are a lot of guys that didn't play in them, but they're a big part of that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Brad Bates always said to our athletic department, you want to graduate with a championship ring. And I can tell you that from 2006 to 2018, one of the – every player in that span left with a championship ring. That's pretty special. Oh, man.
1: Oh, Absolutely.
4: That's pretty yeah. special. And, you know, that, that that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of sacrifice from every single person in that locker room, from players to managers to student managers to assistant coaches um, to trainers to the doctors to the athletic directors to the assistant athletic directors. Everybody was a big family. Everybody had the same vision. Um, and it was a lot of fun.
1: Was it, was it difficult at all to remain present as much as humanly possible all the time and still progress to the future? Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, it, it, it's hard. Uh, yeah. But I can tell you, and, and my wife can tell you this, and Brad Bates can tell you this, as soon as the last game was over, I had my yellow legal pad out, and I was making a list of things that we needed to do already for the next, the next wave. I never really had an opportunity in my mind. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to get myself stuck in it. Um, And this is going to sound, I don't know if this is going to sound weird to the listeners, but I wanted to make sure that every year was special for that team. And so I didn't want to celebrate too much if we had success and I didn't want to get down too much if we didn't have success because that next year was, was going to be the year. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do everything in our power to make it better, to make it spicier, to evolve from where we were. And so how we were going to do that, we needed to, you know, we needed to think, we needed to learn from our mistakes, we needed to analyze the things that we did well, analyze the things we didn't do well, challenge uh, ourselves, challenge our team, uh, challenge our thinking, challenge our systems, everything was on the table. And that was... Again, that's the job of the CEO. It's not a it's not a fun job. It's it's not something you learn from being an assistant coach. If you're not sitting in the chair, and you're not making those decisions, then you're not going to know. Right. Uh, I can tell you about them, but you're not going to be able to feel them. You're not going to be able to understand it because the buck stops with you. Right. And it's not always it's not always great.
1: Well, along those same lines, I, I guess what is something that's missing from the current game that was maybe there in your early coaching days? And, and do you see hockey growing for the better?
4: That's a great question because I do see the game growing. I I think it's, I think there's a lot of smart uh, hockey players, a lot of smart people running programs. And so I do think it's growing and I think it's getting better uh, in, in all areas really from, you know, the the might the programs to the U18s, to the high school level, to the junior level, the, the coaching and the, the playing has gotten so much better. I, I do question, I don't want to say I question, I, just, I want to challenge the listeners, because accountability is still something that's really important in society, not just our game. And sometimes I think accountability... I think, I think we, we shy away from that accountability because we're afraid of it. And to me, that holding players accountable, uh, holding the parents accountable, um, making sure that you're transparent in your communication um, are all things that are still really important. They were important back then. They're still important today. And they still will be important 10 years from now. What I like to say about what what I've seen now in my year off of of kind of just reevaluating everything is, you know, I think the flexibility in what we do and how we did things needs to be a little bit more evident in how you do it, um, massaging it a little bit differently, saying it a little bit differently, and having two daughters has kind of taught me that. Teenage daughters, one, in, well, one's a teenager, one's in college. Um, But it's the way you say it now. It's the way you approach it as opposed to just barking it out uh, because that's what we do in sports, right? Uh, You get caught up in the emotion of the game and sometimes you forget how you said it. Not because it's wrong. It's just the way you delivered it. So there's always times to learn things and, and, and do things differently. But still the accountability, the hard work, those things are still at the forefront of everything that we do. You still have to have that. You still have to have that, that, that passion to, to do something that you love to do. And you know, it's, it's, is it different today as it was 20 years ago? Yeah, it's different. People are different. You know, their society's different. Um, But I think when it comes down to it, uh, like I said, earlier being a good person working hard are still really good characteristics
1: like you said also too though is is in in order to grow you have to get out of your comfort zone so if if the accountability is lacking is it that we're just afraid to get out of that comfort zone it's safe it's safe to say it the right way quote-unquote It's safe to maybe skirt around it as opposed to just go through it. It's going to be, it's going to be odd. It's going to be tough. It's you're not going to like it. That's okay.
4: Well, I think, you know, again, I I go back to my experiences and, you know, sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to say it that way because you've tried everything else and it's not working. Right. Uh, But, but shying away from accountability because we're afraid of it, to me is a cop-out um it's it's saying that you know you don't want to do it because you don't want to feel bad even though you know it's the right thing to say for that person and that young person in his growth now he might not agree with you or she might not agree with you and that's where i think maybe sometimes our approach is a little bit different you can still hold people accountable and the approach can be a little bit different no no question about that um but that piece needs to be uh, something I think that needs to be revisited in our, in our world, in our sports today. I, see, I saw it a lot this past year. I was seeing it at the tail end of my uh, tenure at Miami where, you know, it, we were starting to get players that didn't understand what we were saying when we said accountability. And it's not their fault. It was just because they had never been held accountable.
0: Right. 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 You can't can't get mad at players or people that uh, don't do something they don't understand.
4: Right. So if I had to do anything over again in my last few years, I probably would have taught a class in accountability before we started going (laughs) because they they just they were good kids. I love them. Uh, You know, great young young people, talented. But. The accountability piece, because maybe coaches, maybe parents, maybe, you know, I don't know, uh, growing up weren't willing to have those tough conversations. Um, you know, I think they really struggled with all of a sudden, uh, I, well, I, I'm held accountable? Well, now what? Right. You know, so it took a little bit of time for, for, for that to kind of a, to be an adjustment period. But, um, you know, if, if coaches are listening, you need to be you. You need to be authentic, but you need to be, uh, you need to be the coach. You can't be their friend, you know, and, and that, that's true for parents too. Uh, you know, the, the snowplow parent, whatever the terminology they use today, uh, that's the not going helicopter. Helicopter. to <laughs> do, that's not going to do your, your son or daughter any good at this point. No, I'm not saying you, you don't help them. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Right. Uh, but you know, you can't be just their friend,
0: right? And, um, so, so, coach, you've talked candidly, and we do appreciate you talk candidly about how coaching has changed you as an individual. Um, how do you think you have changed what it means to be a coach? I mean, there's there's a there's a, a line there.
4: No, no doubt. Um, I don't know that I can answer that. I think uh, I like to think that I was someone that push the envelope in terms of uh, relationships and talking about love in the locker room and not afraid to show his emotion. Um,
0: You know, You know, that that's, that's also humanizing the role of a coach.
4: Right. I think that's, to me, that's what I tried to do. And I hope that my assistants that worked for me uh, learn that. I hope that the players that played for me that go on to coach sports or Be parents. uh, learn from me to, you know, sometimes you have tough days and that's okay. And you can ask for forgiveness and you can love because love's good. Love means you're in a relationship. Love means you care about what you're going to do on a day-to-day basis. Um, And so that's okay to talk like that. And I think hopefully that's something that I tried to leave in the coaching world. Uh, I hope to bring that back if I get a, a, I hope to have an opportunity here soon. Um, and, and, and that's something I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, because maybe as a younger coach, I was a, maybe a little bit afraid of talking about those things, those emotions that, like you said, uh, humanizes coaching. Right. We're humans. I mean, you, if you ever watch me on the bench, we score a goal. I'm, I'm fist pumping, then. We're oh, going, yeah. you know, I'm banging the glass along with you. And, uh, to me, that was that was who I was. That's still who I am. Um, that's that's being you, right? And I feel like our players fed off that emotion. Sometimes a little bit over the edge. I can admit that, right? <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. That's that part of. Uh, it's human. You know, that's human. Part, Yeah, that's part of asking for forgiveness. That's life. We all make mistakes. We all do good things. We all, you know, we all love to be in community. And sometimes, when you're in a relationship and you say stupid things and yeah. sometimes you, you need to ask for forgiveness and that's okay. That's okay. And sometimes coaches lose sight of that. You're not supposed to be stoic. You're not supposed to be a statue. You know, you don't have all the answers. I learned just as much from our players than I learned from some of the coaches I coached with and, and coached for uh, because we don't have all the answers. Right. I learned, you know, I would go watch our football team practice. I learned a lot from our football guys. I would go watch our basketball team play. I learned one of our power plays back in the mid two thousands was a pick and roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody does the the roll, high roll. I mean, we were doing that two thousand four. <laughs> uh, you know why? Because I saw the you know he was running a triangle offense. I'm like, wow, we got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so to me, you're you're you don't have all the answers. You're you're a human being. You're on this earth to learn something every day. Yeah. And, and if you can get that through your head and be okay with it and be human, then I think you could be a really good coach. Right. And hopefully that's that's a little part that I left in the game, if I answered your question.
0: Yeah, coach. absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know what, Coach? We could I could sit here for hours and, and talk to you. This is a, a fabulous conversation, but I don't want to take too much of your time. So what's next for Coach Blasey? What's, what's next for you?
4: Boy, that's uh, (laughs) a, that's a million dollar question. I've been trying to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I decided as we decided as a family that it was important for, because of some of the things we talked about, it's so difficult to be a head coach uh, at the division one level at any level, but at the division one level for me and the way we did things at Miami uh, and just trying to evolve every year that we didn't really celebrate some of the things that we accomplished and, uh, we didn't really get a chance to kind of sit back and relax. And I, I can tell you, I was pretty exhausted. Um, and it took me a little bit of time to kind of uh, re-energize myself. But uh, I had a great experience being with some NHL teams this past year, uh, traveling to different colleges, watching a lot of different games. I, you know, my, I think my daughter tweeted one out uh, in February before COVID hit I had the computer on my lap watching one game. I had the TV on watching another game, and her comment—and I didn't know she was taking a picture—but her comment was, "Oh, Dad, just being Dad, right?" they're
0: sneaky like that, Rico. Yeah. <laughs> they're sneaky like that. Trust me, I have two daughters. They take pictures of me all the time. So <laughs> yeah, so
4: and then COVID hit. So I don't know how to take it right now, and where where the where the hockey world's at, where sports is at. Uh, I know I want to coach again. Uh, but I also know I want to help. I want to help um, help our game grow. Um, we talked about the word development. What does that mean? You know, it's a catchy word for for you know the last few years. Um, you know, we can talk about that too. So, in any event, I want to get back into the game. Um, we're going to be patient here because of all the things that are going on in the world are more important than whether Rico Blasi is going to coach this year or not. Uh, We got to get through this, uh, not only as a country, but as a world. And hopefully uh, there's not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, we don't lose a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Because this is real. It's not, you know, my parents live in Canada. It's real. This is not, this is not just an American thing. This
3: is, and
4: I have, you know, family in Italy that went through a lot. And this is this is absolutely real, and this is bigger than than sports. It's bigger than Rico Blasi, and um, but one day you'll see me behind the bench again, and uh, you'll see me fist pumping.
0: Yeah, good. And, well, uh, well, we you know, definitely it'll be a fun time. We definitely look forward to that, Coach. Um, I just want to make one quick comment. As you said at the very beginning of the interview, you said you're a first generation Italian. Um, Obviously, Tim Sullivan is not a first-generation Italian. Um, But I did try to make homemade sauce out of my uh, tomatoes. And if you've listened to the program, you've known that I've tried to do that. And uh, so I want to apologize to you and your family right now for me attempting to do that. (laughs) Well, Tim, you you call me, and we'll go through our sauce. (laughs) You're going to love
4: it. I'm going to get get your number after this. I am going to call you so you can walk me through it. All right, I would love to. One of the things I did this past year – and. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it. And I have a, a really good friend who's an executive chef. So I've kind of picked his brain all year. But I can make some really good meals now.
3: <laughs> to
4: the point where my wife's like, if you didn't coach, what would you do? I'm like, I'd want to be a chef. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Right? So I had great time cooking all year. I still do it. Actually, I have a, a cauliflower, uh, kale. Soup
0: on um, the stove right now for Sunday nice. night, so nice. ready to go. But Tim, you call me anytime. All right. Well, Jay, we're trying to get management to do a cooking with Sully show. Um, maybe we'd have to expand that to cooking with Sully and Rico show. So I love it. Let's do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Coach, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate the the time you've given us, uh, the knowledge that you've given our listeners and ourselves, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Um, and best of luck in the future. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Well,
4: guys, thank you. Great job by you guys. I listen all the time, and good luck in your, uh, hopefully, seasons here soon. Thank you. Uh, Stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and uh, I would love to come on uh, anytime you have me. All right. Thanks, Coach. Thanks.
0: This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by NUMA. Use code Hockey25 for 25% off your first purchase on drinknuma.com. Well, Jay, what an unbelievable show we had today. First of all, talking to the Smith brothers about uh, their time in uh, hockey with Gilmore, then moving on uh, to the junior level and then the college levels uh, respectively at at Brown and Miami. Uh, And not only that, but then their entrepreneurial idea of NUMA because the sports drinks weren't working for them and they wanted something to provide the future athletes. What a great talk. And, and, I mean, I, I, don't, I know you've drank Numa before, so have I. I would highly suggest that our athletes out there uh, check it out.
1: I think that it's, it's – I don't know the right wording for it. I mean, talking to Jared and Brandon is and, – and we've had the chance to do it once before. And what they did, the, the, you know, you take on companies that have great stake in, in, in the sports drink world, and you do it your way. And you do it with a vision and you get, again, you get to do it as brothers. It, you know, not only did they go through hockey together and they're going through business together and the way they make it work and the way they, they carve their niche, I guess out is, is impressive and inspiring. And I mean, man, we're, we're just blessed to get to do what we're doing right now. Right. And Brandon and Jared are good guys. Um, you know, and and through talking to others that know them and, and, and seeing them from afar and it's just more success to them. You know, I know they're going to keep plugging forward and and doing right things and doing what's best for them and, and making it work. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. And then we had an unbelievable conversation uh, with coach Enrique Blase and, and just learning from him uh, how he got to where he was. And most importantly, the passion he has for, his players to succeed, not only on the ice, but off the ice and become a family. And if you do that, then you will be successful because you'll trust each other. I'm telling you, like, like we've talked about before, Jay, we've, we were excited uh, to get coach on here. Uh, coach has done a lot of things that we have followed over the years, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and to be able to get a, a firsthand uh, uh, talk with him, very special. And i tell you what, we will see uh, Coach Blasey on, on the bench somewhere again, and we will see whatever team he's at. I don't care if it's the pro, the junior, the college level. That team will succeed.
1: You know, I don't know if it's because we're about the same height. I'll give Coach a, a a notch taller than me. But <laughs> the fact when he started talking to us, he brought up the family dynamic and how – when, when the coaches recruited him for college, it was, it was to find the right fit for, for all included. And that his family and Rico's family needed to trust where they were sending their son and, 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 and coach had to trust the coach he was going to play for. And he reiterated it throughout and, and it became how his coaching style, you know, in, in in formulating the brotherhood, which, which started when he played and became I guess re-envisioned when he started coaching and then X years in, I, I believe he said it was about six years in, they'd been, they'd been following it, but they couldn't really name specifically what it was and what it was about. And they were doing that. It was a work in progress. The, the main thing I I've always taken from coach Blasi, and that's as, as we spoke to him uh, after taping was that we've been following him for so long to learn is that he cares And, and, and you think about this, you're a division one coach, you're technically in a business. It's a win or, you know, they're going to find somebody else to, to, to take your job. And, And it's, you know, a hire to be fired mentality and to be able to be family oriented in that to me is amazing. And, and not only did he do it, he found success in it. He found success through. I mean, he never once said "I this, I that, I we, we, we." Uh, That—that's the trademark of of every truly, in my opinion, successful sports person out there is "we." But he's always been family oriented. He always truly cares. You'll find people that tell you that they care. They care for as much as you can do for them. Exactly. Enrico Blasi is not that. Nope. Because you think about. And when 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 people listen to the to this show and 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 go back and possibly listen again, which I think you should, he talks about guys becoming parents, guys becoming doctors, guys becoming lawyers, guys becoming teachers. He doesn't. He he, he could have very easily rattled off all twenty nine guys that signed NHL contracts. It's very easy to do. Alec Martinez Stanley Cups with LA. You know Jeff Zakoff, uh Stanley Cup with uh, uh, Pittsburgh. He could have went through the NHL guys. It'd have been easy. But he 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 talked about them becoming better people. And and Coach Blasey is a phenomenal human being. I, I have and that was from the outside looking in. Yeah. But listening to him today and listening to him talk was just again inspirational for me personally.
0: I'll tell you what, there's no there's no doubt in my mind. I now and our listeners should understand. And if they don't re listen to it again, know why he he built the program the way he did because he got players to trust him because he's a trustful guy. He, you know, it's easy. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but then when you go over and you go and you prove it over and over again, it becomes habitual, and that's something that that coach did. And there's no no doubt, and no no doubt in my mind uh, what he did uh, at Miami and what he's going to do in his future. Successful, successful. So yeah, 100%. You know, we're going to be back on the bus and heading up north from Oxford. We'll do it for episode 24 of On Air. A special thank you to our guests from NUMA, Jared, and Brandon Smith, and from Miami University, former head coach Enrico Blase. Check us out next week for the quarter, episode 25, as we sit down with the head coach of the Bowling Green Falcons, Ty Eigner, will be our guest, and we will have the chance to sit down with Stanley Cup champion and Cleveland native Mike Rupp. You can find the On Air podcast at www.OhioHockeyDigest.com with full episodes and archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continue to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.